So, man, I just wish that we had had, like, an exciting week. Such a boring week in our nation. Just nothing happening. You know, the World Series was great, and then it just kind of, no. What was more intense, watching Game 7 in the World Series or the election? I'm not sure, like, which, who had more heart attacks, but pretty, pretty crazy week. Um, you know, I think that in a time like this, it'd be tempted to think, everything's going wrong, or the world is crazy, what's happening? Um, I mean, a reality star is going to be our president. Isn't that crazy? Like, I grew up with Donald Trump watching, you fired. <laughs> that's, what, that's like my thought of Donald Trump. And, uh, you know, I think he's probably a pretty competent guy. You don't get, get to the place he is without doing some things right. But it'd be easy to think, what the heck? What's going on in the United States? What's going on in the world? And um, I think that the devil would love us to think that everything sucks and that the world is going down the tubes. And like, man, I mean, things going on in your life. Who knows? Like maybe you had, maybe you have some struggles going on or uh, Christ with a family member. There's tons of stuff that could lead us to believe that the world is, you know, like going to hell in a handbasket. But my personal belief is that we live in the best time that has ever existed on this earth. I believe that we are privileged to live in the best era of humanity, the best age of this earth that has ever existed. And I, I, think, I don't think that's because of the amazing technology we have. I mean, I love TV. <laughs> I love that I have a little tiny computer that I walk around with in my pocket. That's fun. That's really cool. But I don't think that's why we live in the best age of humanity. I think medicine, I mean, we've never had better medicine, better technology in the medical community than we do today. Saves lives every day. My sister's a nurse. Like, I'm so thankful for that. But I don't think that either is why we live in the best age of humanity. Transportation. There's never been a time when you could just fly, like, there's people, you could be on a different continent yesterday and here at church today. That's like the reality. But none of that, I don't think any of that is why we live in the best age of humanity. I think we live in the best time that this earth has ever seen because we live at a time where Jesus has been revealed as the son of God. You know, you're priv- we're privileged to live in a time where we know that Jesus is the son of God. You know, that there was a whole era, there was a whole time when Jesus hadn't come to earth yet where Jesus hadn't been born, where Jesus wasn't walking the earth and providing a way into relationship with God. Just think about that. There's even, there were people that were alive in this book that did not realize Jesus was the Messiah. Just like, it's crazy to me. We we almost like, for for me at least, I kind of start to take for granted a little bit that Jesus is the son of God and that I know who Jesus was. But if you really slow down and realize, you read this book that there are people who actually killed Jesus because they hated him and didn't think he was anything good. But we live in a time where Jesus has been revealed as the son of God, where you can know how to be in relationship with God. And beyond that, if that wasn't enough, we live in a time where the Holy Spirit is moving and active on the earth. We're the presence of God, where we have full access, free access to God's presence, where God speaks, where his voice is present. You know, there was a whole 400 year period 
where that wasn't the case. In between the last book of the Old Testament and the coming of John the Baptist, there was a, that was a 400-year period where God never spoke. There were no miracles. God's presence was never revealed on earth. There was no healing. There was no supernatural intervention from the heavenlies, from the kingdom of God on the earth. There's a 400-year period. But we live at a time where God's spirit has been poured out on all flesh. All flesh. Listen to um, this prophecy by Joel. He says, you know, this is about 500 years or so before Jesus came to the earth. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. We live in that age where the spirit of Jesus has been poured out onto all flesh. And here's the deal. I think when it says all flesh, it means all flesh. You know, that means that like everyone, you don't have to be a Christian to be touched by God. That's what that means. That God's presence can come and rest on anyone. That God's healing power can come and infiltrate anyone's life. That's why you don't have to be a Christian to receive a prophetic word or to be healed. Because his spirit has been poured out on all flesh. But if you're in this room and you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you have it even better than that. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit living inside of you. Just think about this. Close your eyes, okay? Just close your eyes with me. You have the Spirit of God. You have God living inside of you. God is alive inside of you. Just keep your eyes closed for a second. Holy Spirit, come and just testify to that. I welcome you just to rise up in every person in this room. I release hope and confidence in you right now. I release prophetic words into people's hearts right now. Let us hear your voice, hear your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I want to talk about today is kind of the second half. You know, we're in this series, uh, Developing a Prophetic Culture. And Joel goes on, in that, that prophetic word I just, I just read to you to say, that he'll pour out his spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. We've been in this series on developing a prophetic culture and uh, what it looks like to have a whole church that is more focused on heaven than on earth. That, that's what we're trying to get. That's what we're trying to communicate. We, I see that as what we're becoming at Vineyard Northwest. I see that as we becoming a people that are always focused on heaven's solutions and are ready to hear, okay, I have a bad circumstance in front of me, but God, your presence is on me. Your spirit is in me. Now I'm going to enter into this problem. Now I'm going to figure out what to do. That's, that's a discipline I have. Anytime there's a circumstance that seems impossible, anytime that, man, like my wife and I are in conflict or that I'm running late for something or I look at the, the bank account and we don't have quite enough for a certain thing we want to do that month, I say, hold on. Let me get aware of the fact that God is alive inside of me. Let me get aware of the fact that the Holy Spirit is taking up residence in me. And now I'm going to start thinking about that problem. Now I'm going to start going to that problem. You know, it says that he has given us, okay, in Philippians 4.19, we never have any excuse to be in lack or to think that we, we don't have enough. Listen to how Jesus puts it, or how, how, the, how Paul puts it, talking about Jesus. 
And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Here's the cool thing. He'll meet all our needs according to how rich Jesus is. (laughs) There's no one richer than Jesus. There's no lack. There's always more for us. God's never holding out. And so, yeah, talking about prophetic culture, we're, we're um, wanting to shape this church, wanting to t- help this church t- take its next step and become in a place where people come in and they experience God's presence, where people come in and they hear God's voice. One of my favorite stories about this, there's a young guy that goes to uh, the, um, he, he's let me share his name before, but I'll just kind of leave his name out of it. But he's a leader at the Westchester House Group. And when he started coming to house group, he was uh, really struggling with an addiction to pornography. And then kind of on top of that, he had also started questioning his sexuality. And he had started to wonder, like, did God mess up making me a guy? Like, am I supposed to be a girl? And um, questioning, like, am I really attracted to girls? And all this, all this, um, all this turmoil, and all these questions going on in his head. And he told us one night at house, we stood up and he said, hey, I just want to get this out in the open. I've struggled with pornography and I, I just want to tell you guys, I want that to be broken off my life. I don't want to deal with that anymore. So a bunch of guys gathered around and prayed for him. But before he said that, he said, or before they prayed for him, he said, and you know, honestly, I've also struggled with my sexuality and I've wondered, am I really supposed to be a guy or not? And he said, but ever since I started coming to Vineyard Northwest, ever since I walked in the doors, I've started to hear God say to me, you're a man, you're a man. And he just felt God's presence. He's felt God reassuring who he is. And you know why that happened? (laughs) Because this is a prophetic culture at this church. Because this is a church that's focused on what is God saying about me? Not what am I saying about myself? Not Not what is culture and society saying about me? What is God saying about me? And I just welcome everyone with a beating pulse and a butt in a chair right now, that you are part of sharing God's voice with people who come in this building. You're, you are, in this circumstance, it was, just a, it was just God directly speaking to him. But how many people have come in here and got prophetic words or someone shared something with them they felt like God put on their heart that's totally transformed and changed the trajectory of their life? The, tra- the trajectory of their life. Trajectory. That's a hard to say word. Okay. So that's, I'm not going to talk about that more today. As we talk about a prophetic culture, it would be really stupid if we never really gave you guys some practical tools on how to prophesy. We encouraged you all on ways for you to step out and give prophetic words for you to share about the gold in people's life. I'm actually going to talk about that next week, okay? So bad news. I'm speaking two weeks in a row. Um, I'm going to talk about that next week. What I want to talk about today is directional prophetic words and prophetic words of warning, okay? Prophetic words that don't just like highlight the good in your life, but actually speak to maybe a problem in your life or speak to a future problem. And, and why does God speak to us in this way that will warn us for something to come? Does God even speak to us in that way? Does he speak to us in a, in a way that would tell us what to do or that would... Um, provide us insight into the future or to a potential problem coming? Like, does God speak that way? And if he does, um, how do we know that that really is him saying it? And maybe even more importantly, like, how do we communicate that? (laughs) Because you you can, so so let me say that again. How do, 
it, does God say things like that? And if he does, how do we communicate it to others when he tells us something like that? So like God tells me to tell Katie that blah, blah, blah is going to happen six months from now or that she needs to change this thing in her life. How should I say that to her? How do I deliver that message to her? Because, you know, people's lives have been really jacked up and really hurt by the way some people de- deliver prophetic words. And th- that's sad, man. That, that, that's really annoying, actually, because the prophetic is something that's supposed to upbuild, encourage, and exhort people. It's supposed to comfort them. It's supposed to push them forward, not to confuse them. Okay, here's, here's a piece of advice for you. If you get a prophetic word from somebody that confuses you more than it comforts you, that distracts you more than it encourages you, that makes you less sure of what to do next rather than full of hope and direction, just get rid of that word, okay? Just like kind of push that off. You can flush it down. Like if you hear a word like that, walk away and just go, flush and put it in a toilet and just get rid of it. Because what I'm learning more and more is that God doesn't want us to be anxious. That anxiety, fear, confusion, that's not something that the Holy Spirit ministers to us. Okay. That's something that the devil ministers to us. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't work through um, hard things. And that if we're feeling anxious, it means we just need to run. Okay, that's all I'm saying. But there's a mindset we need to run from. That mindset is anxiety. That mindset is fear. There's no hopeless circumstance. There's only hopeless thoughts. There's not a hopeless, there's nothing we can come to that is, is hopeless for us to get through. But there are thoughts that will lead us to ruin that are hopeless thoughts. So, I want to address, I want to kind of give us, I want to look at a couple of different scriptures, a couple of different um, examples of words of warning or words of direction in the New Testament. And, and, and I want to tell you guys a couple of stories, okay, of words I've gotten or words I've given or words I've heard about given or heard gotten. And um, just kind of like fl- flesh this topic out a little bit. So here, here's what I'm going to cover. I'm just going to give you guys my points to start, all right? I'm going to just tell you all the things I believe and then kind of uh, prove it to you as we go through some scriptures, all right? First, words of warning and words of direction, they always will have a redemptive element. A prophetic word that warns you about a problem or a prophetic word that gives you direction for what to do next, it will always be filled with redemption and hope. It will always have a redemptive element to it. The problem is I'm a preacher. I'm not a teacher, Okay. So like, if I say one thing and I like it, I want to like talk all about it and flesh it out a lot. But a good teacher just is okay saying a point and then moving on. So I'm going to treat more like a teacher today. You know, Luke is like a really great teacher. And um, not only that, he's a great teacher, he's a great drummer. Did you guys see him like, pr- like teaching and preaching last week and then like just going back to the drum set? <laughs> I wish I was that talented. So... Um, Okay, so words of warning and direction should have, always have a redemptive element. They should be graciously delivered. They should be given in a spirit and in a tone and with words that are gracious and humble and loving. Not, nothing harsh, not black and white, do this or die kind of feel. And they should be given within the context of relationship. A word of warning or a word of direction should always be given in the context of a relationship. I'm not going to go up to a stranger on the street and say, God says move to Mexico. Walk away or like, God says this bad thing's coming in your life. Like, no. In the context of relationship. 
Now, I'm going to flesh those out more, but three things I'm not, I don't have like good examples for, but I just want to put out there that are really important. Words of warning and directive words should be biblical. And what I mean by biblical is that they should line up with the heart and message of Scripture. It doesn't mean that you should be able to point to a verse in the Bible and say, okay, here's a prophetic word. All right, it says, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I can do that. No. What I mean is that it should line up with the heart of Scripture. It shouldn't contradict Scripture. It shouldn't go against the grain and the flow of the teachings in, in the Bible. And kind of just, just an example of this. Somebody might come to you and say, hey, I just feel like you have this call for missions on your life. And that, um, yeah, I just feel like, I know you have an amazing family, but I feel like you're supposed to quit your job, divorce your wife, put your kids up for adoption, and move to China and start, a, and start planting churches. And God's going to bless you if you do that. So divorce your wife, X, Y, and Z, put your kids up for adoption, get rid of them, they're extra baggage, you can't handle that, um, and go to, go to China and be a missionary. All right, right off the bat, that is unbiblical. That is against biblical principles. That is counter to the Bible, right? So, Everett, just put your hand up, your right hand up, two fingers, and just go flush. You flush that. But here is how that word could come in a biblical way and in a way that would line up with God's heart. Hey, I just see that God has blessed you as a businessman. I feel like God is leading you to take a big risk. And I feel like he's saying that um, you and your family are supposed to actually move to China and that God's going to really bless you there. He's going to use you to influence believers there and encourage believers. And um, would you just pray about that and maybe seek some other counsel? So you see, that's the same word just without all the stuff that's wrong about it. <laughs> <clears throat> so that, that's kind of that <clears throat> sorry that's what I mean by not biblical okay oh my gosh I have 10 minutes I'm gonna, I'm gonna take 15 I'm gonna take a little liberty all right second thing they should be timely they um, usually aren't huge course corrects it, if a person gave you a word like that like the example I just said you know, that's probably something God will have already been stirring on your heart and speaking to you about, okay? It's like you've been having this feeling for a while that you're supposed to make a change. And then you, you're, um, the, your favorite thing lately you've been reading the Bible are Paul's missionary journeys. And there's like little things that God's already leading your heart in that direction. And then someone comes and shares with you a really kind of directive, um, clear word like that to give you the faith to take a step. That, that's the point of a word being so pointed and directive. It's to give you the faith to take a risk or to do something that normally you might not have been able to do. So the point of those, they should be timely, okay? They should flow with what God is already speaking to you and with what other people are speaking to you. Last thing, at this church, words of warning and words of direction should be run through leadership first. They should be run through someone on staff, a pastor on staff, or maybe a small group leader. A word of warning or a word of direction, you should, before you give it to a person, even if you know them, this is my encouragement to you, even if you're great friends with them, is you should go to somebody and say, hey, here's what I feel like God was saying to me about Katie, or like this, this thing that Katie needs to do. Katie, you're my victim today. And um, what, what do you think about that? I just want to submit that to you and hear your wisdom about it. And and there's a couple of reasons. One, that person, if I ask my mom first, hey, here's a word I have for Katie, what do you think? 
My mom and Katie are in a deeper relationship than I am. And maybe my mom will have insight about Katie's life that I didn't. Or, or maybe she will just, just because I'm respecting authority, she will be able to speak into it in a way that I couldn't or something that I'm not seeing about what I'm saying. She can help me package it in a, in a uh, respectful way. Or she'll just say, hey, that does not, um, that, I, I don't affirm that word. I don't feel like that word's from God. I don't feel like that's right. I need, you, you shouldn't share it. So like there's, there's different things that could happen. But when we submit it to leadership first, we're realizing that this prophetic word isn't about me. Okay, it's about them. And it's giving God even more voice to speak into the process before it's given. So biblical, timely, and run through leadership. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. When we prophesy, this is the umbrella that all New Testament prophecy has to fall under. It needs to be upbuilding, encouraging, and consoling. Here's a couple A building is kind of like saying it should be edifying. You know, an edifice is a building. It's a big building. We're speaking to people to build them up so that they become something that they're not, that God wants them to be. It's encouraging. It's exhorting. It's like persuading somebody of a truth that they're not seeing. That's what it means to encourage someone, to give them courage, to release courage to them. And it should be um, consoling. It should be comforting. It should bring peace in their life, not distraction. So, I'm going to tell you guys a funny story real quick about um, a prophetic word that I heard was given. So there's a guy named Chad Dedman. He's an itinerant minister out at Bethel Church in Redding, California. And he spoke at this church once. So we've gotten to meet him and spend some time with him. He's a really great guy. And he, he told this story to us. <clears throat> Actually, he told it to my good friend Micah. And Micah shared it with me, Micah Level, that Chad was ministering at this church one weekend. He's kind of doing a conference. And the, the pastor's son was like, you know, about my age. And he was kind of the co-speaker for the conference. So he was, he was sharing the responsibilities of speaking and leading ministry times with Chad. Well, at the end of one session, Chad and the pastor's son, the, the, other, the other pastor from the church, were up front, like I am now, um, sharing words of knowledge. So they're sharing prophetic words like about, the, about situations in people's life so that they could respond to them and then get prayer for them. God will, God will sometimes tell other people a fact or a piece of information about what's going on in your life so that you can have faith and so that God can minister to you and bless you and so that you know that God's like thinking of you and he knows you. So they're up front sharing these words of knowledge and Chad shares a word of knowledge about like back pain or something and like a car accident, da, 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 da. A couple of people stand up, pray for them. God's touching them, whatever. Then um, the other guy, a young pastor says, okay, my turn, I, or I have a word. And he's, he's a really zealous guy it, from, from how Chad described him. So he grabs the mic and he says, all right, so I, I just have a word. I feel like there's someone in here right now who has a burning rectum. There's someone here with a burning rectum and God really wants to heal you. And kind of like how you guys are reacting is how the room reacted. Like, what? Oh my gosh. Um, and he's, and, and no one responds. No, everyone just like, who, who would respond to that anyway? Okay. Hey, who has bad hemorrhoids? Just stand up. You know, like everyone just like, uh. and so, um, the, the, the guy that shared the word, the pastor's like, seriously, Hey, like this was, I had this as a sympathy pain, which means he could, he felt it. He was like, I can feel it. Someone here has a burning rectum and it's like burning. Like whoever this is, 
just stand up and I want to pray for you. Like God wants to heal you. He loves you. And at this point, Chad is like, dude, give it up, bro. Like, no, like way to take the risk, but no, this is not, not appropriate. And the guy's like, no, seriously, I can feel it. Like I can feel it right now. Stand up. God will heal you. God loves you. And so this like old man in the second row back, like grips the seat in front of him and starts to stand up. And, uh, and this young pastor's like, thank you. Thank, thank you for being honest. Thank you for responding. I'm, I'm going to pray for you now. But what I want you to do is to take your fingers and place it where you have the pain. And he goes like that. He starts to put his fingers up to his eye. And everyone's like, what? and Chad looks at him like, what are you talking about, man? He says, you know, your rectum. God wants to heal his rectum. He has pain in his rectum. And Chad's like, that's your retina. That is not your rectum. <laughs> that's your retina. <laughs> so that is how you do not give a prophetic word, okay? That's how not to give a prophetic word. So here's the deal. Jesus actually, actually gave some words of warning and some words that didn't sound like super positive the whole way through. That if we had heard, we'd have been like, Jesus, what the heck, man? We love you. Why are you saying this? Three times in the book of Matthew, in the course of four chapters, Jesus foretells his death. He tells the disciples, hey, I'm going to die and um, get ready, basically. From that time, so this is uh, Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. One chapter later, he hasn't even given them time to recover. And he says, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Thanks, Jesus. Um, two chapter, three chapters later in Matthew 20. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and on the way he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man, he's, that's, that was Jesus' favorite name for himself, the son of man. And the son of man will, will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he'll be raised on the third day. Like, geez, mocked, flogged and crucified, sparing no detail, just boom, going right for it. It would be pretty easy to be discouraged by these words, right? <laughs> If you'd been spending all this time with Jesus, he's raising the dead, he's healing people, he's saying the most profound things you've ever heard before, he's sharing the secrets of eternal life to you, and he says, and by the way, in about a week, I'm gone, I'm going to be killed, I'm, I'm dead. <laughs> I think I would be greatly distressed if I heard that, right? Just imagine Van coming up here and three weeks in a row saying, hey, I'm dying next month, okay? Like, I'm, I'm going to be gone the government's going to arrest me, put me on trial, put me in jail. I'm going to get the electric chair. I'm gone. Like, we would be pretty worried about that, right? That wouldn't necessarily encourage and strengthen us. But that would be true. We, we would have every right to be discouraged by this if we were tuning out the last part of Jesus' prophetic word, which I think is what the disciples did. Listen, listen to how each, listen how each of these words ends. 
And on the third day, I will be raised. And he will be raised on the third day. And he will be raised on the third day. Every time Jesus told them about his death, he shared about his resurrection. Prophetic words of warning, they are blanketed and they are clothed in hope. They are clothed in redemption. They're filled with the solution of heaven, okay? There's no, if there isn't hope or solution in a prophetic word, then the person isn't sharing the whole word or the word isn't from God. If there's not hope and solution infused into the word you're hearing or the word you're getting, there's one of two things happening. Either the person sharing it is not sharing it well and they're holding something back intentionally or unintentionally, or the word just isn't from God. The word just isn't from God. There's hope. There's a solution in any, everything, anything God speaks to us. Another example of this. Um, and, and I just want to point out too that this is Jesus speaking to his closest disciples. He has relationship with them. This is not a message to the masses. He's telling this to his closest friends, the guys he's been mentoring. Another example of this in Luke we all know the story, right, of um, how Peter denied Jesus, right? Do you guys know that? That Jesus is one of his very best friends, someone he'd been pouring into day and night for three years, denied him, turned away, said, peace out. I'm, I'm, he, not only did he run away, he also then told people, no, I don't know Jesus. I don't know him. We all know that story, right? Matthew and Mark and John all, all tell of Jesus' um, Warning Peter, hey, you're going to deny me three times. But I love Luke's account of it best. Listen to how Luke, so there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And um, I love how Luke describes this series of events the best. He says, well, Jesus is speaking, but this is, this is Luke's account. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Isn't that so good? He says, hey, Peter, you're going to mess up, man. You're going to mess up. But strengthen yourself. Strengthen your brothers. I've prayed for you. I've got your back. I've covered you. The first thing I get out of this is, man, Jesus is more committed to our success than we are. Jesus is more committed to you being successful in life than you could ever imagine to be. Think about it. Like parents, how much do you want your parents or how, how much do you want your kids to succeed? Like a ton, right? You would do anything for them to succeed. How much more than does our heavenly father want success and hope and triumph in our life? And um, my dad pointed this out to me that in the Greek, so in verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. You there is actually plural. Jesus is saying, Satan demanded to have you all, speaking to all the disciples, but I, Jesus, have specifically prayed for Peter because I see a leadership anointing on Peter's life that he's going to be the one that rallies everyone together and pushes everyone on after I die, after I raise from the dead. So this word isn't, um, isn't condemning Peter. It's speaking life into him. It's speaking redemption into him. And I honestly even think that this word was an invitation to Peter to respond and to be humble and to realize that he had the capability to deny Jesus. Because you see how, listen how Peter responds. 
Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. How do you know that Jesus is never wrong? (laughs) If Jesus tells you that you're going to mess up in this area, what, what he's giving you is a chance to repent before you mess up. If Jesus points something out to you that you're a flaw or a mindset that's wrong, he's not doing that to make you feel bad or to tell you how bad of a person you are or all the things you're going to mess up. He's saying, hey, buddy, repent right now. Change the way you think. Respond to me and we can redeem this circumstance before, it, before something bad happens. I really believe it was an invitation to, to, Jesus, or to, um, to Peter to repent and to realize, hey, there's something in me. There's an insecurity in me to the point where I would actually deny Jesus. But even aside from that, Jesus' word is speaking to who the gold in Peter. See, prophetic, and I'm going to be wrapping up here in two minutes, three minutes. Um, The prophetic, we, we know that it speaks to the gold in us, right? We know that it's speaking to the kingdom of God. It's speaking to the positive in our life. But the prophetic also addresses the darkness. The prophetic prepares us and gets us ready to overcome obstacles, it wouldn't be loving and it wouldn't be um, God's heart if all I do is say, hey, Rich, you're an awesome person or you're going to do this amazing thing. I just pulled the Rich name, pulled the name Rich out of, out of a hat. Um, you're going to do these awesome things in life uh, and blah, 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 blah. But never actually give us guidance about how to deal with hard things, right? How to deal with obstacles that are going to come our way. Think of it like this. Prophetic words can serve as like intel reports. You guys all know what I mean by an intel report? Like when the army or someone in the military, a higher up, a general or the intelligence department tells the troops, hey, this is going to happen or there's an enemy stronghold here. Get ready. Like you're on your mission and you're going to go, you know, take this city. But just know there's three enemy strongholds along the way. Now, you know what a really um, lacking Intel report would say, just go ahead, go. You, you guys have the ammunition, you have the firepower, clear path in front of you, go all the way there and take the city. That would be a bad intel report, right? A good intel report tells you about obstacles and prepares you to be able to address them and overcome them. I was talking to my brother Brent, hey, let's just give a hand for veterans. Thank God for veterans, you know? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for people who are willing. The bottom line is they're risking their lives for our safety, okay? Like whether you're pro-military, whatever, I don't really care. But the bottom line is there's people that have put their necks on the line so that we can breathe free air, okay? And my brother Brent uh, did a tour of duty in Iraq. And I was talking to him on the phone yesterday, and he was telling me how they warned, he was, what was Brent's job? He was a Humvee commander, he was a sergeant, so we had a squad that he led, a group of Hummers that he led, and they would um, they were going and just you know solidifying solidifying areas and hunting insurgents and everything. And he told me that one of the key pieces of intel they were given was that when an IED was set off, there was usually a second IED right next to it. Lots of times, an IED is a um, improvised explosive device, a little bomb. They sold them hay. Lots of times the first IED will explode and, you know, take out the Hummer's engine or whatever, like make it so your Hummer won't work. But then there's a bigger IED stored next to it so that when everybody gets out of the car, when everybody gets out of their Hummer to like take care of business, another IED goes off and and takes even more casualties. 
So this is like, this is like um, part of the, the Intel report, whatever. And there was a, my brother told me a story actually of a time where they were driving along this canal, him and like five other Hummers. And he was a lead Hummer. And they were about halfway across the bridge when one of the Hummers behind them got hit with an IED. And as soon as that, sorry, as soon as that Hummer got hit, my brother and his squad jumped out and started to form like a perimeter and scan the area. And they saw across the canal, across the way, where there were a bunch of insurgents waiting to set off another IED. And so you know what they did? Immediately they took off after them. And, and they didn't actually make it to them. They didn't get them. But they got to the spot they were. They saw like cigarette butts all over the place and um, like trampled grass through this palm grove. But my brother was using an intel report to prevent more casualties. When they got back there, the other, um, the other guardsmen, the, other arm, the guys in the army, the other infantry, had unearthed and found a much larger IED than the first one that had exploded. And those guys, the, the insurgents weren't able to set it off because right away, my brother and his squad went after them and, and, and kept them from being able to set that one off. Lots of times, that's how prophetic words will serve in our life, to warn us and to prepare us for obstacles so that we can get out of the situation winning, <laughs> So we can get out of the situation on top. So we can have kingdom, the kingdom perspective on how to address difficulty and hardship. Does that make sense? Do you get how that ties in? I wish I could tell you more because I, I prepared some more. But I'm just going to, I'm not going to end this prettily. I'm just going to pray right now. And uh, I'm going to pray over you guys as the worship band comes out. And I'm just going to pray that there's an increase in prophetic in everyone's life in the room. And that it's not just words that affirm and call the golden people, but we actually start to hear God's voice to um, give warning to people. And this is something that really, you really need to mature. And if, you, if you're not even giving prophetic words that are calling out the gold, then that, that's the place to start, okay? But as a church body, we want to be a, a lighthouse and a place of hope and a place that gives solutions to our community and gives solutions to Cincinnati, so in that way, we want to grow in the prophetic like this, okay? So Father, I thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for all the gifts and talents and abilities that are here that you've given us. And I pray that you just bless um, prophetic gifting on everyone's life here. I pray that you would draw us deeper into a place of hearing your voice so that we can know you better. So we can live a life focused on what heaven is saying and not what our circumstances are. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.